Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here with us. Happy 4th of July. The few and the proud, the ones that are here, and those of you joining us online, live and throughout the week, we're glad you're here. We're in the middle of a John series, working through the book of John. And one thing that I have had so much fun as a preacher for me each week is is how we have discovered um, new insights on some of these familiar stories about Jesus. Like we, we've read some of these stories over and over our whole lives, but to hear some new things, some new context, to see what's going on. And it's, it's fun to look at um, some of these passages and have new eyes to see it with. And today is no different. Today is a sermon and from a section of scripture that is preached so often in churches. But once again, there's a lot more happening than meets the eye. And so I'm going to dive right into John 10 verse 1. Now before I even start reading it, you need to know the final verse of John chapter 9. They, uh, Jesus accuses the Pharisees, the religious elite, of being spiritually blind. And remember, there's no chapter breaks in the Bible. Jesus didn't say, you're spiritually blind, and then turn to the camera and say, chapter 10. No, he just kept going about his day. So he, said that he, call, he, he tells the Pharisees, you're spiritually blind, and then he turns to them, and he continues to, speaking, he, to speak. He's speaking to the Pharisees. It's very important today, we keep in mind throughout this teaching, who our audience is. It's the Pharisees. They're the leaders of the people. They're supposed to guide the people, protect the people, teach the people, and help them. These Pharisees are the shepherds of this community. And Jesus, in John John chapter 10, turns to them and begins to talk about sheep. So, John 10 verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. So, uh, So, suddenly we have this new metaphor we have a sheep pen, and we have a robber. And if anybody tries to get the sheep, that's, they're, they're climbing over the, any way but the gate. They're a thief trying to steal the sheep. They're an enemy of the sheep. And so he continues, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And this makes sense practically. We're going to hear more about this in a bit. But the shepherd, he doesn't have to go over the top. He goes through the gate. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now we have somebody else. We have a gatekeeper, and now we have the gate. And I want to tell you, there's two different kinds of sheep pens during Jesus' time. Uh, The first kind of pen I want to talk about is in a city. It was larger. It was more of a general pen. And in fact, there would be more than one flock there. So if four shepherds came to town, they would would go um, reserve their spot at this sheep pen, and all four flocks would be there inside this larger one. The gatekeeper would be the one who watched them overnight, and the shepherd would come the next morning, and he would talk to the gatekeeper who would let the shepherd in the gate, knowing that he's the one who is the owner of these sheep. And then the, the, the shepherd would walk into the pen, and he would call his sheep, and his sheep would come to him. The sheep from the other three-ish flocks, whatever, they wouldn't come to him because it's his sheep know him. He says he calls his sheep by name. Now we learn about the shepherd a little bit. He knows their names. He doesn't just have a general flock. No, he has Fluffy and Cloudy and Baba and whatever it would be. You know, he knows his sheep. There's, there's a familiarity. He names them and he leads them. Verse 4, when he brought out his own, you can imagine the other flocks in there. When he's brought out his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He brings them out and he leads them. And they follow him because They know his voice. There's a familiarity Jesus is speaking here. That he knows his sheep by name, but yet they also know his voice. They have trust with one another. Verse 5. 
but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. In their culture, when one of the other four shepherds would show up and call his sheep, the other sheep would run away. They're not going to go with that other shepherd. They don't know him. They don't know their voice. Verse 6, Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, can you imagine? They're there, and they're, they should know everything. The Pharisees, and they were just told they're spiritually blind, and then Jesus switches to sheep and pens and gatekeepers and, and thieves, and, and they're trying to pretend like they know. Mm, yes. But, but honestly, if, if we're honest right here, w- without the context maybe, it's hard to know what's going on. So Jesus spells it out for them and for us. In verse 7 he says, Therefore Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now remember, John gives us seven I am statements for Jesus. Seven different I ams. That, that, that each one of them gives us a new revelation of Jesus, his nature, how, how he works. And I told you that sheep pens in the cities, but there were also another kind of sheep pen, those out in the countryside. And when you were out in the countryside, it would be a smaller sheep pen built up by rocks, and um, it was used for one flock. We have a picture of it right here. They would have an opening on one end. And guess where the shepherd would sleep at night? He would sleep right there in that gap. There's nothing getting through, in or out, that's not waking him up. He was the gate. And so while out in the countryside, the shepherd, we have another picture, an artist's rendition, a little more nice and square, but you can see where the, the shepherd is there as the gate. He would lay down his life across the gate that no sheep would get out at night. And if anything tried to get in, he would know about it. He says, all who come before me were thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And then he continues in nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You know, there, he says, there's people who've come before me, but they weren't the Messiah. There were others. But he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be what? Come on, Orchard. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So Jesus is making a statement here. He's speaking of salvation, that he is the gate, and it is only through him. Anyone who wants to be saved must go through the gate that is Jesus. Contrast this with the earlier verses where anyone who tries to get in by another route or who who has a voice as a thief trying to get their way, only through Jesus is their salvation. And and Jesus makes claims like this often. We're going to see more of them. So when people say that, you know, all, you know the Bible, and it always kind of lead to one place. All paths lead to one heaven. You know, if, if that's true, and I'm God, I'm not sending my son to die for you. I'm not sending my son to die if there's a thousand million other paths, and one of them is just relaxing in front of the TV every day. If that's a path, oh, let's go with that one, you know. Let's go with the recreational path. But he says this, I am the gate, and only through me, only through Jesus Christ is there salvation. He has made a way for us to enter into God's kingdom. He continues, they, that's the sheep, will, continue, will come in and go out. They'll come in and they'll go out and find pasture. Because of the saving work of Jesus being the gate, these sheep have a new way of living. I mean, they have the protection of the gate and the shepherd. They can go out for green pasture. In God's flock, life opens up for you. It's like a sheep's dream, you know, pastures and protection and a shepherd. And then he says this, the thief comes. And, th- and this, this next verse could be a sermon itself. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I mean, he gives two mission statements of, both, of, of two different sides. 
It says the, the thief comes, and the thief is the accuser of God's people. He's called the accuser. It's God's enemy. It's Satan. And, and it tells us what he wants to do. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. That is his mission for your life. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you just to have a fun time, get away from those rules of God or whatever. No, no. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. This is, this is what he wants to do to God's sheep. He wants to daily steal your joy through anxiety, through depression, through anger, through addiction, through heartache. He wants to, anytime he can, when you're driving down the road, going about your day, he wants to steal your joy any way he can. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to kill your faith through shame, shame about your past, through circumstances. He likes to get sheep alone, get them vulnerable and then away from the flock. And then they get convinced of, of things that were never in God's kingdom. He wants to convince people that God's done with them, that the shepherd's done with you because of how far you've roamed. And finally, he wants to steal, kill, and, and then the last one is destroy. He wants to take your life. He wants to destroy your life. The accuser wants nothing but pain and suffering from you. There is nothing about his plan that is in any, any way good for you or God's sheep. Eventually, he wants your life to end, to be destroyed. And on the flip side, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. Everything the accuser wants to rob you of, God wants to give you in abundance. And it's life, life to the full. And the word here means, it means abundant beyond measure, like overflowing. The accuser wants to rob you of, of joy and love and peace and life. And God wants to pour love and joy and peace and life into you so much that it fills up your life that it overflows the sides, that when you go home, you saturate your house with how God is working in your life, that when you go to work, you, you are just overflowing with the, with the gifts God has given you and what he's doing in you and that people who come into contact with you taste and see that there's something different about this life. This life is overflowing with peace and grace and faith. God wants to, the, God wants to fill your life to beyond measure. And so the truth is, both the enemy, the accuser, and God's spirit want to speak into your life. And oftentimes we just assume this is our self-talk, that this is just my mind bringing up something. Have you ever had, have you ever been, we talked about this maybe in the past, have you ever been driving down the road and a thought will just come snipe you out of nowhere that is just incredibly terrifying or terrible? Death, cheating, divorce, illness, what if? I mean, in the next five miles, you're living in a reality that, that's not even true, feeling emotions and anxiety. And, and I just want to ask you this. Is the origin of that thought from heaven? It's time to begin asking where some of the origins of our thoughts are. Because I, I talk to a lot of people who come in, they will tell me, listen, their self-talk is, I'm a failure. I always mess it up. I'm worthless. I'm fraud. I'm so ashamed. God's done with me. Like I hear people telling me their self-talk and I hear the lies of the accuser. He's called the accuser of God's people and that is his game. Listen, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy, your peace, your faith, and your life. To this, this very day, those of you listening in this room and those of you engaging online, during this message, he wants to convince you that the goodness that God is offering here doesn't apply to you because you messed up too big. But Jesus, he wants you to know that he offers life and life beyond measure, life to the full. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Another I am statement of Jesus. 
I am the good shepherd. Now, when Jesus delivers this statement, to the, and who's he talking to? The Pharisees. When he delivers this statement to the Pharisees, this is a theological bomb going off. Like, we read this and we go, oh, it's nice, good thought. I love the thought of him being a good shepherd, but this is loaded with context. You know, it seems nice and comforting for a sermon, and it is, but it wasn't delivered to crowds of sheep. It was delivered to Pharisees, other shepherds. And we're going to see in a bit that what seems like a nice sermon on the surface has a lot more levels to it. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Again, alluding to the fact that practically he protects them. He lays down on the gate, but also he will lay down his life in the coming months. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, the hired hand abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. He's not the owner. And you, know, you always know the difference in a store or a shop when you, you encounter the owner versus the hourly wage worker, don't you? And right here, he, he talks about this. Jesus says, these, listen, I own these sheep. I lay down my life for them to protect them. But there are other shepherds who when danger comes, they care more about themselves than the flock they're supposed to be tending. He says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I love the beautiful intimacy here. And, and, and Jesus is declaring some identity. He's letting the Pharisees know that, that he knows his sheep. But more than that, his sheep know him. You know, years ago, I was called to the hospital early in the morning for a tragedy. It was one of the, the hardest parts of the job. And I showed up and there were about 18 people waiting for me as um, someone had been tragically it passed the night before unexpectedly. And I was in there with the family and the mother said, come with me, I need to talk to you. So I, I go out there into the hospital hallway and we sit down just, just right there, knee to knee, and she looks me in the eye and she goes, I need to know where my boy is. And tears, where's my son? And I, I, knew, I knew her son. And I knew that her son knew Jesus. And I said, your boy's in heaven. Your boy, your boy knew Jesus. I said, but more importantly, Jesus knows your boy. And he was waiting, he's waiting for him. He was there. Your son was welcomed. Jesus knows your son by name. And Jesus is talking here that, that he will know his sheep and his sheep will know him by their names. And he'll know your hearts. He'll know your hopes. He'll know your thoughts. He knows you intimately. He says in verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep, not of this pen. Now here, Jesus is hinting at a future that is going to completely be a shocker to the religious leaders listening. You see, the, the, the Hebrews were always referenced as, as God's sheep. But Jesus refers to other sheep, not of this pen. He's talking here about Gentiles. He's talking here about the non-Jews. He's talking about people from around the globe. Jesus is saying, I have other sheep. Now, this would have been a shocking statement, but he's not done yet. He says, I must bring these other sheep also because they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. File that away. One flock and one shepherd, non-Jew and Jew all together in one flock. Why one flock? Because there's one shepherd, Jesus. You know, because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, all people, of all nations, of all languages, of all types, of all past experiences, of all past sin and abuse, of all present conditions, of every color, of every type, all people have access to the kingdom of God and salvation because of the work of Jesus, the good shepherd. All people. 
And he's hinting at that fact, that it's coming. He says, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay down my life on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up. This is the command I received from the Father. Jesus finishes this talking about his mission to come and to be the sacrifice who lays down his life for his sheep, but then to take it up again. And he does this on his own will. And there's authority sent by the Father. And so there you have it. John 10. Jesus debates with the Pharisees. Then he begins to address them and speak directly to them about their spiritual blindness. And then he launches off into a ranching sermon about what it means to be sheep and and gatekeepers and and shepherds. And and this is taught so often. I've preached this so many times. And we love to preach how we are sheep and God's our shepherd and we need to know his voice and resist the enemy. And that's all true. And I'm going to end there. Don't worry. But first... I always, when you you take a passage like this, begin to ask some questions. Questions open up the passage. So first and foremost, why is Jesus giving a ranching lesson to Pharisees who hate him? Why? Why is Jesus telling them he's the good shepherd and not the many sheep who need him desperately? Why would they care about Jesus' claims as the good shepherd? Why does John put this in here? I'm glad you asked those questions because there's some Old Testament reasons that this is in here. This is in here and Jesus is is saying some things on purpose. Remember, it's beautiful how he does. He's speaking to Pharisees, but he's saying, what he's saying to them is an indictment actually. This is an indictment. This is a direct strike aimed at their authority. See, to us, this is a metaphor about sheep and shepherds that we have to wade through. But this passage that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about This connects precisely with Old Testament prophecies and promises. And remember, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, guess what? They had the entire Old Testament memorized based on their schooling and what it took to get to be a priest, to be a Pharisee. They had to memorize the entire Old Testament. They had it memorized. And even the people listening, the non-Pharisees, they grew up in a culture where they would have understanding of key themes and contexts. But the Pharisees, they knew the word. So when Jesus uses phrases like the shepherd leads them and they go before them, John 10, 4. When he says the sheep will come in and go out, John 10, 9. When he says, I am the good shepherd, John 10, 14. A Pharisee who knows his Bible would suddenly have alarms going off in his head. Alarms declaring that these are quotes from Old Testament sources. So you see, they would know that Jesus is actually referring to Numbers 27, where Moses is pleading for God to to send us a shepherd, send us a new shepherd and appoint them over it. He says this, Moses says, to go out and to come in before them, the sheep, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see, they would know that Jesus is connecting himself with Moses' declaration plea for a new Joshua. Joshua led the people into the promised land, and Jesus is the new Joshua, leading the people into a greater promise, a new covenant. Joshua and Jesus, both their names mean God is my salvation, and Jesus is connecting himself with the Old Testament promise and prophecy. Jesus is saying, I am this new, she- this new shepherd. I will come in, and I will go out, and I will lead them. I will go before them. I am the ultimate answer to Moses' question for a new shepherd. It's me. 
He uses phrases and vocabulary that come directly from Numbers 27. Jesus is speaking the Pharisees' language. Actually, he's speaking his language because he is the word. He's speaking his language that they've learned. He's using it, and he, he's, he is directly striking at the things that they know about. We read this and think it's about a shepherd and sheep, but they, they know it's much more than that. So what does John 10 say about the Pharisees? Because he's talking to them, right? We read about the shepherd and the sheep, and we assume it's about us. But he's talking to Pharisees. What does it say about them? Well, if, if it's not just Numbers 27 that he's referencing. In fact, Jesus, the masterful teacher that he is, references at least four different Old Testament books. And one of the main ones is in Ezekiel. John 10 shares most of its vocabulary with Ezekiel 34. It's a prophecy over 600 years before this. And in Ezekiel 34, God is speaking directly to the leaders who, catch this, were the current shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel 34 is God speaking to the shepherd leaders of Israel. They aren't leading his people like a good shepherd should. They're leading more like hired hands who, who get the best they can for themselves and leave if something happens. Here's the kicker. John, Jesus is referring to Ezekiel 34 written to shepherds while he's addressing the shepherds of his day. The connection would not have been lost on these Pharisees. So let's read some Ezekiel 34. And as you hear it, let your mind blossom with some of the connections and the things that the Pharisees would have been picking up on. Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds also take care of the flocks? You eat the curd, you close yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. Didn't Jesus have a parable about this? I hope we're beginning to see that so many things that Jesus says have a context and a tapestry behind it when he says, I will go out and leave the 99 and find the one. He's speaking about a good shepherd. He's, he, and even in Ezekiel, it says that you, you have not done that. You shepherds of Israel have, have not gone out and found the strays. Do you see how this is a reference to the fact that these leaders have not been doing their job? They're not good shepherds. And, and, and this is why God is levying this prophecy against them. It applies 600 years later. Let's continue and see what he says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and there will no longer be food for them. See, God declares there'll come a day when he will remove these shepherds from their post. They won't be needed anymore. But the question is, when Jesus removes the shepherds from their post, what do sheep still need? So who, Jesus, or who God, in Ezekiel 34, who is going to be the shepherd? If you're going to remove the shepherds of Israel, who's going to lead them? Now, this is the part that would have offended the Pharisees the most. Because Jesus is about to make a claim. Not about them being shepherds or bad shepherds. He's about to make a claim about himself. Because let's see in Ezekiel 34 who God will appoint to be shepherd over the flock once he removes the, the other shepherds. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. 
That's his response to removing the current shepherds. I myself to do it. Woe to you, current shepherds. You will lose your power. And it is I, myself, who will be their shepherd. Not only that, Ezekiel goes on to describe what a good shepherd looks like which is exactly what Jesus declared himself. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, then he is with them when he's with them. So I will look after my sheep. I'll rescue them from places where they're scattered. I will bring them out. I will bring them in. We see Jesus say these exact things. I will tend them in good pasture. There they will lie down in good grazing land. There will be feed feed in rich pasture. I will myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. God in Ezekiel says that I myself will come and be the good shepherd. I will do the work of a good shepherd where you have not. I will lead them. I'll protect them. I'll bring them to good pasture. I will bring them out. I will bring them in. I will go before them. I will tend them. And those of my sheep that stray, I will go find them. I will do the job that the shepherd, the hired hands are not doing. And so in John 10, Jesus begins this whole thing about sheep and pens and shepherds the Pharisees would have picked up the similarities of these languages between Numbers and between Ezekiel. They would have connected it immediately because God renders judgment on those shepherds as Jesus is talking right to the current shepherds. God's prophecy in Ezekiel gets more specific. Verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I will someday place over my sheep one shepherd shepherd. Now David has been dead at this point in Ezekiel for over 500 years. Is he saying that David's going to come back to life? And, and there's so much writing, and I, I don't have time to go into a lot of this, but, but when it talks about the Davidic or David line or the house of David or David in the Old Testament past that, that Jesus, it is speaking of, the, of Jesus coming. In fact, in the Gospels, when you read the genealogies of Jesus, remember those? All the list of names. Do you know why they have those in the genealogies in the Gospels? simply to to prove that Jesus came from David. And so this reference here to this Davidic shepherd, he says, listen, I'm gonna gonna have one flock. It's gonna have one shepherd. And Jesus declared that in John 10, 600 years later. Someday I'll place over my sheep one shepherd. So here in John 10, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, the religious shepherds and leaders of the time. He, He tells them, you, he's telling them this, you are like the shepherds of Ezekiel's time. And me, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one your Bible says is gonna come. It's me. I am from the house and the line of David and I'm gonna lead my sheep and I'm gonna lay down my life for them. Jesus uses Ezekiel and Numbers and Jeremiah and Psalms here to, to accurately tell the Pharisees exactly what's going to be happening. And this is a bombshell. And, and, and the crowds listening, they watch Jesus just eviscerate the Pharisees. And this would have been shocking. You see, at, at, at the surface level, it's one thing for us. But with context, it's not just a nice sheep analogy. 
This is theological hand-to-hand combat. And Jesus is just head and shoulders above the Pharisees. He's making claims about himself, claims about the Pharisees, and telling the people these things. There's a theologian named Gary Manning who spent his life's work to write a book about the, con- the, the connections between Ezekiel and John. It's, it's really expensive and really thick. You should go out and get it immediately. But he, he, has, he has says all these things. He says, listen, the two passages, they share three phrase, direct phrases, 11 key words. Close synonyms, weaker synonyms, the amount of verbal parallelism makes it clear that John is not merely talking about everyday shepherd life. Like John's not making sure this is in there. Jesus didn't say these things about sheep and shepherds just so you and I would have a good understanding of shepherd life and how it applies to us. No, no, he's saying something else. You see, this isn't a metaphor just for preachers to preach about sheep. Jesus is accomplishing many different things on many different levels. He's the master at this. And bottom line, what do we see Jesus doing here? He's speaking out against the Pharisees. They haven't done their job. But in this section about the good shepherd, when he says, I'm a good shepherd, in light of Ezekiel 34, this whole thing is a declaration of Jesus about who he really is. This is him declaring identity. God says he himself will come and tend his flock and be their shepherd. And Jesus, in this analogy, says, that's me. It's me. He's telling us that he was the one that was foretold. He is God incarnate come to be the one shepherd. And and there's many different people who tell me about Christianity. They say, you know, I can't believe all that. Because Jesus never even really declared his divinity. And when I'm told that by somebody, you know, as nice as I can, I, I just want to say, you don't know the Bible very well. Jesus is constantly declaring who he is. He's constantly declaring his identity and his purposes. So here, let's end with the last verse of Ezekiel 34. Remember, 600-ish years before Jesus, God declares in verse 31, you are my sheep, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. You're my sheep. When it says my sheep in the Old Testament, it is always from the first person point of view of God about his people. And there's a, it's a common theme in the Bible. But when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. His voice in John 10 echoes the voice of God in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. So now we see Jesus isn't just using sheep and ranching terms to, to teach about these things. He's declaring his own self as an, as, and who he is. These are my sheep. <laughs> and if they're my sheep, that makes me the Messiah. That makes me God incarnate. The applica- so, so, that's, so how do we apply this, though? How do we apply this message? And the application is, is pretty straightforward. If you've placed your faith, if you've placed your heart in Jesus as Savior, guess what you are? You're a sheep. Now, in modern culture, it's become like this, bad, this name you call people online lately. But here's the deal. In God's kingdom, that's what you are. If you want to be anything other than a sheep spiritually in God's kingdom, the other option isn't good, okay? So let's, if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, say it. I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. I won't make you bad, you know, but that, you know, there's a few things. And as a sheep, there's a few things that you're going to need. First of all, sheep, they need a shepherd, Sheep are very easily influenced. And researching the sheep, you know, sheep will see, uh, a sheep will be there and it will see other sheep wandering off and think, oh, I guess I should go with these people. And so sheep are easily influenced. Sheep might watch news and begin going that way. 
Not us, but sheep might do that. They're easily influenced by other sheep. The other thing I love about sheep is they will graze themselves into danger. Like a sheep will just start eating grass. It'll be so delicious. It will just graze itself away from everybody else into danger. It, it will arrive at a dangerous place. Catch this. Sheep will follow their appetites to places they shouldn't be. And there are places in our life where we follow our appetites to danger. Our appetites for approval and love and significance, success, our, our appetites for pleasure. We are sheep and we will graze ourselves into ditches and get stuck. We're sheep and we need a shepherd. And this next verse amazingly shows what it means to be a sheep. This, this next video shows when God pulls us out of a mess or when, we, when we, we are in the ditch of life, we have grazed ourselves with our appetites into a mess, what happens? So let's watch this. We have the shepherd pulling the sheep out of a ditch. The sheep is stuck. It needs its savior. The sheep is free. It's so grateful. Now, we had a, a slow-motion replay coming. Now, I'm not saying this is an analogy for many of your lives, but I'm not not saying that, okay? Many of us, this, is, this looks like us during the week. Look at that. Get me back in there. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Now, the second thing we need is we need a flock. Sheep were created and designed to live their best life in a flock of other sheep. And you were created and designed to live your best life in a community of other people. Sunday mornings, if you're a sheep, this place right here is healthy and beneficial for you to be. It's not about coming and listening to music and sermons. It's about being a sheep and being with the flock, how you were created to be. I mean, if you, and this is just for you, if you're watching online right now and, you, and you're not vulnerable to COVID and you don't have a concern about those things and you still haven't been, if it's just that you're out, out of the habit of coming here, it's time to come back. It's time to come back and be a part of God's flock. If, if the reason we're missing is just because of habit, the reason God created the church, Jesus created the church so that we could benefit from being here. And, and I know that it's easier to watch in your pajamas at home. And I've talked to these people here. You can still come in your pajamas, right? Right? It's okay. But, but I just want to say for many of you, it's time to return. It's time to come back. Not because we want more people here. Not because of that, but because you were created and designed to be a part of a community. And Jesus, it was his idea to start the local church. He started it and created it so that we could encourage one another, support one another, help one another. And in fact, in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, don't give up meeting together. Like, don't stop and get to catch this, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another as you see the day approaching. Some of us are just out of the habit of coming and being a part of the flock. And, and, and Hebrews tells us, don't be a part of that. And for those of us that do come on Sundays, and if you do come on Sunday, it says that when you come, encourage one another. Like be an encouragement to the other sheep. Tell them their wool's looking good, whatever it would be. Encourage the other sheep. Listen, if you're a sheep, you need a shepherd, you need a flock, and there's a third thing you know, need to know, and that's you need to know God's voice. John 10, 4, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The first thing God's gonna call you to, the first thing the shepherd calls you to is to come to salvation is to come give your heart, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only gate, the only way to heaven, to respond in salvation 
and join his flock. And, and I just have to stop. I can't go any further because I just think there's going to be somebody in this place or listening with us this week, and you have never made this decision to pray and receive Jesus. You've never prayed to put, to put your faith in Jesus as Savior. And so, so right now, let's do that. Everyone head bowed and just repeat. Everyone repeat after me. Pray with all of your heart and repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. I know you died. I believe you rose again. I place my faith in you. I give you my past. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you've just prayed that, email me, daniel at theorchardlife.com. But for all of us in here, if you have made, if you've answered that call to salvation, we still need to know his voice. We still need to know his voice. And one way we know his voice is through his word. He speaks through his word, his nature, who he is, what he, how he wants us to operate. And so one thing I challenge you with is the Sunday morning, this can't be the only time you see some Bible we need to be people, or we need to be people of the word who get into the word and get the word in us. And so tomorrow, tomorrow is the fifth, right? Tomorrow, wake up and read Proverbs 5. If you have a, or, or if you have a, a smartphone, download the YouVersion Bible app. Start a reading plan. But let's start getting the word in us and getting in the word. It's important. The other thing we hear God's voice is God does want to speak to your heart. He does want to prompt you by his spirit's power. He wants to, 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 to call you to, to stop and talk to that person or, or, or give to this person. He wants to prompt you as you go through your life like we talked last week. But he also wants to speak to you about your life. Amy and I just had a situation this past week that was really heavy for us as a couple. Not between us, but w with us. And we needed God. I remember and I was, I was anxious and so I went for a walk and I asked God point blank, God, what is this? And I heard, I felt his answer in my heart. And at that moment, it changed it for me. And then we got all of the, the resolution of the situation came and proved the exact same thing. And so I guess what I'm saying is we need to begin to rely. Did you know Jesus wants to speak to you about the situations in your life right now? And many of you, you're facing really hard, difficult situations with your relationships, with your vices, with your finances. Do I move? My parents, someone's sick. I mean, you're facing these. Have you stopped and asked God? And have you listened? There, you have no idea how many times Amy and I have pulled aside, we're going to make a decision to move or buy a house or whatever it would be, and we will stop and specifically ask, God, should we do this? And oftentimes, you know, sometimes we hear nothing, and we just continue to pray the next day. But there has been some amazing life decisions that we have avoided or gotten into by simply listening to the voice of God. And he wants to speak to you. I, there's a video that, that strikes me. I want to play this for you. It, 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 talk, it shows three different voices calling out to sheep before the farmer does. So let's watch this. And as you watch it, be thinking about John 10. That is not the rancher farmer. <laughs> one more time. Oh, one is... Oh, <laughs> 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 
They are coming. Oh my God. Oh my God. You see, there are places in your life where the enemy is trying to speak to you, kill, steal, and destroy. And the call is going forth for you to come. And many of us are answering the call of voices and calls that are not God, that is not the good shepherd. But you'll see what happens. Isn't it amazing when the shepherd calls his sheep and they run to them? Orchard, we need to be that kind of church. That when the good shepherd says, come here, we come. That when he calls us to come pull aside and listen and read, that, that we want to know his voice, that we know his voice and we will be obedient because he's gonna lead us into an abundant life. That's the thing. All the other voices that call you lead you into <laughs> stealing, killing, and destroy. But Jesus wants to lead you into a life that overflows with goodness. So the question is, are we making space in our life to listen for the shepherd's voice? You're like, I don't know if I've ever heard from God. Have you stopped and quieted yourself and, and put down your phone and, and listen and turn to unmuted things? Have you, are you listening? Are you making space to hear from him? This week, I would, I would encourage you to once a day pull aside if you have an issue and ask him every day about that. I would encourage you to get in the word and see what he would say about these things. We have a good shepherd and he wants us to have a life abundant. Are we listening? So as we go into communion, the couple questions to ask yourself, where have I strayed? Where have I, where have I grazed off? Where have I listened to voices and gone with other shepherds? Ask his forgiveness. He grants it. If you're a sheep, you need a shepherd. And today he wants to speak to you. Ask his forgiveness and then thank him for his sacrifice.